Ryan Dixon and Rory Boylan host Tape to Tape, the hockey podcast by Sportsnet. Okay, Rory, it's redraft time. We are looking at the 2017 NHL draft okay. with the benefit of, you know, whatever, 16 months between then and now. Yeah. How many non-Vancouver fans, or let's just do this, let's take Devils fans and Vancouver fans completely out of the mix how many people draft Nico Heischer number one, and how many people would draft Elias Pettersson number one right now? I think a lot of people are picking Pettersson. I was faced with this very choice in my fantasy league, and I chose Elias Pettersson over Heischer and Nolan Patrick. Well, la da You know, he has been fantastic. He won the Swedish League scoring title last year, set a new record for scoring by an under-20 player, then went on and won the championship and was named playoff MVP. You know, sometimes you get lost in the shuffle playing overseas, not playing in front of the junior crowds and the, and the scouts and right in the face of North American fans. And here he comes right in and he's got a tremendous shot, great vision, great speed. I'm taking Elias Pettersson number one overall. I had no idea the Vancouver Canucks actually were rebuilding. Apologies <laughs> for all those times I screamed about the fact that they did not know what they were doing. You know what? The only way to rebuild without actually rebuilding and trading away players and getting bad and, and truly hoping to, to draft first overall is to knock it out with first round picks and say, you know, a year, two, three Later, if we were to redraft that year, Brock Besser, how much higher is he going than whatever he went early 20s? Elias Pettersson went fifth. That's super high. Yeah. But again, here we are saying if we were to do it all over again, there's a chance he would be the top guy. Takes a little luck, but let's not uh, underestimate the acumen, the scouting. Well done to everyone involved in Vancouver finding those two guys because let's be real Besser's going to start scoring soon too and then how excited will people on the west coast be we are going to talk about on this episode of tape to tape a little bit of what's going on in Vancouver I'm not sure you've been paying attention but that guy who the Leafs picked up in the offseason looks like he can play a little John Tavares doing oh, all right, right with, yeah. with Austin Matthews goal scoring in general the pucks are flying in. We're going to address whether that is sustainable in a little segment we like to call deep breaths. But yeah, why don't we start off with the Vancouver Canucks? We're here now a week in, a little better than a week. First tape to tape since the puck actually dropped. Understandable excitement in Vancouver for a guy who has six points through three games. What do you see being the, I mean, this is still a long process for Vancouver, but they they yeah. have to feel so much better, even just with these few games on record moving forward with this club. Yeah, I don't think anybody's expecting them to even push for the playoffs, even with the good start we've seen from Pedersen expecting that Brock Besser is going to get going here before long. But I think all you want from a team that's rebuilding like the Canucks are is signs that these young players 
are on the right track. And Elias Pettersson certainly looks that way. I remember in the preseason, there were at least two times where he was getting a one-timer and he completely whiffed on the puck and it just it just looked so bad. But what a lot of people didn't realize was how amazing his shot was. And he has really shown that. He flashed that a lot early on. If you look at him, he's the he's skinny beanpole and you're like, yeah. okay, playmaker I can see, but you don't yeah. really think of him wiring the puck in the net. Yeah, and so that's gonna, I mean, as good as Brock Besser is with his shot, he is he is the shot on this team, but Elias Pedersen is right behind him on that, and I think he's gonna burst onto the scene in the same way Besser is. And remember last year, the Canucks even made Brock Besser a healthy scratch for the first two games, I, I think it was, before they got him into the lineup. So to just start right off with, with Pedersen on that second line. What I'm wondering now, so last year Matt Barzell comes out, wins the Calder, 85 points in 82 games. I really wonder if Pedersen can get to that level. What Barzell had going for him last year was that John Tavares would take up a lot of the defensive assignments, the top defensive assignments from the other team on that top line. Vancouver doesn't have a centerman on John Tavares' level, and not that Brock Besser is necessarily on John Tavares' level in a lot of ways, but he's going to attract a lot of defense. Everybody knows what this guy, you know, he's a 40-goal scorer. He's he's on that level, so I think defenses are going to be attracted to him for at least a while. That's why he needs to get going here, too, to shelter Pedersen at least for a little bit, and I think that's going to open the door for Pedersen to maybe take a run at something like what Matt Barr Zell did last year. He's certainly the early Calder favorite very, very, very early. There have been some really great starts for rookies around the league, but it's just promising. And you know, there's going to be problems with the goaltending, which has been awful to this point for the Vancouver Canucks. There's no need to rush Thatcher Demko up from the AHL necessarily. It's going to be a tough year no matter what. Um, Those are still going to be hurdles for this team, but at least you have Elias Pettersson jumping onto the scene and now we want to see Brock Besser get going. Let's get this out of the way. Austin Matthews is shooting 50%. I don't think that's sustainable. I'm not a numbers guy. Probably not sustainable. And that bump Tavares doesn't even have an assist yet. (laughs) But he does have six goals. Austin Matthews has seven. John Tavares has six. Tavares on the strength of 33% shooting. Okay. Two goals a game per guy. Probably not going to continue. Here's my question about Matthews. Okay. When this season is over, are we going to be talking about an uber upper elite tier that contains Matthews, McDavid, and Sidney Crosby and no one else? Oh boy, Ryan, you're putting me on the spot huh? here a couple of games into the season. I think there's a definite possibility that that happens though. This is a guy who I think could get a lot of penalty kill time and not look out of place. And I don't think he's going to get that on this team, but he does have that two-way element to his game that I think a guy like Connor McDavid doesn't really have yet. I mean, Connor McDavid is the best player in the NHL because of how explosive he is with the puck. And in a way, that's defensive because he can carry the puck from end to end on his own, and that just takes a lot of the, the pressure off the defense in a different kind of way. Matthews isn't going to keep up to him with his speed, but he's going to be a better, more responsible player, I think, in the defensive zone. His shot is better than McDavid's. The shot he takes where he drags it two inches in and whips it, that specific shot, he's the best at in the NHL. Nobody has more even strength goals over the past two seasons plus the start of this one than Austin Matthews does. And the thought is that if he gets onto this really great looking power play unit and starts scoring more there... There's nobody that's going to touch this guy for goals. With the fast start that he's had, I think you now got to start wondering, boy, he's 43 goals away from 50 with just a couple of games into the season. Can he get there? I mean, he was 
he's a guy who can get to 40 goals. So if he's already that out ahead so fast in, in the game here, there's a real shot that he gets there. And if he gets to 50 goals, I mean, that's a level that who else can get there? Alex Ovechkin, Patrick Laine probably ends there. Yeah. If he can get onto that level and bring a two-way game, how does he not enter that kind of atmosphere, that stratosphere with Sidney Crosby and Connor McDavid? The Ottawa Senators, we knew, we expected were in for a long season. We weren't really sure what the reasons to watch the Sens are, but <laughs> the reason is through four games, the Senators have at least three goals in each game. Mm-hmm. And they've also given up at least three, and that was only on one occasion. They've also given up four, six, and seven. This is all to say, when you factor in maybe watching Brady Kachuk, who broke through with his first two goals, Thomas Shabbat flying around out there. Yep. If nothing else, it might be a little fun to watch the Senators this year. Yeah, you know, Guy Boucher came into the NHL as this genius coach and everything, and we thought he was going to be bring some offense, and then he did the exact opposite, and he was the defensive coach. Will we ever forget the visual of the Flyers the standing behind and just being like, come get us, that come was, get us. That was so just embarrassing. Calling a team out like that was pretty magical. Yeah. So I'm working on a piece right now for sportsnet.ca, uh, kind of jumping off of what Elliot Friedman talked about on Wednesday Night Hockey, and he was talking about the way the Senators play, and that being the difference, the biggest difference in the way the team looks this year, where the defensemen are like encouraged to join the rush, to pinch in as long as a forward gets back and, and kind of covers for him. And so I'm going over and looking at some gifts. And as I'm looking at this, I went back and did some research, <laughs> reminding myself there was a game in October of last year where Ottawa gets into three-on-three overtime. And who do they put out on the ice? It's not Eric Carlson. It's not Mark Stone. It's J.G. Pajot. It's Cody Cece. You know, and the reason why... Guy Boucher did this, he said, is because New Jersey put three great players out there. We need to put down some somebody to shut them down. Ah, uh, the old three-on-three three shutdown. Right? New Jersey goes out and scores before the best players from Ottawa even step onto the ice, and that's that's game over. That's not happening with Boucher and the yeah. Senators this year. They are definitely attacking a lot. It's fun to watch, and that is now a reason for fans to tune in. I, I want to tune in and watch the Ottawa Senators just to see how they play. It's it's fun. It, it's reminiscent of the Vegas Golden Knights last year a little bit without the depth. It's reminiscent of the Lindy Ruff era Dallas Stars without the heavy loaded top line, that kind of offensive firepower. But you're seeing uh, some great performances from the rookies. Brady Kachuk, like you said, getting on the board with two goals. Thomas Shabbat kind of taking over for Eric Carlson. He was a very highly touted yeah. uh, junior player coming out. And how about Max Lejoie too, yeah. coming out of absolutely nowhere? And he's been chipping in off these rushes. Hey, hey, I, be- I beg to differ. If you were reading Ottawa's prospect okay. report You're last right. year, True. I did okay. have someone quoted saying, I You're actually right. remember when I heard Lejoie, I was like, oh, you know what? Whoever, wh- I can't remember what scout told me. Yep. It was one of those like, look. He's raw, and it could be yeah. two years away, but there's something there. So yeah, it's interesting sure. to see it come to fruition even early on. Sure. I think it's fair to say from out of nowhere. Yeah, okay. And So this is a reason for, just like Vancouver, this is kind of what Ottawa fans wanted to see. And I, and I did wonder, coming into this season, you know, we talked about last year, even though Vegas was so underrated and kind of written off, the room kind of came together for each other. And not that I think Ottawa is going to come together in the same way and have the same success, or and they're not coming together for the same reasons. They weren't cast off from other teams, but everybody has written this group of players off, and I wonder if that is a bonding element that brings them together and gets more out of them. I think the X factor, if they are going to overachieve, 
is Craig Anderson. All throughout his career, he's a great season, terrible season, great season, terrible season. This is supposed to be the season he bounces back, but he's also 37 years old. So at some point, you know, that elastic is going to wear out. He's not going to bounce back all the way. And also, I'm not convinced that Guy Boucher is going to stick with this system. <laughs> I think at some point... He's going to reel in and say, okay, boys, there's too many goals against, too many odd man rushes coming the other way. I know coaches get branded as this, that, or the other, you know, a defensive coach, an offensive coach. But it's funny, just hearing you talk through Boucher kind of puts me in mind of the fact that, you know, there are GMs we have judged and said they're doing a bad job. But what we, we don't have all the information sometimes, and it's always come down to mandate to me. Is ownership telling yeah. you, hey, you got to be making the playoffs? So if you're Ken Holland or Lou Lamorello in New Jersey before, yeah. do you, if you're making moves to try and get an average team into the playoffs, it's not, you're kind of handcuffed by the mandate. But then sometimes when we see that those cuffs come off, we see those same GMs with a mandate to rebuild, make some good moves. Yep. Yeah. Kind of the same with coaching, where maybe there are guys who are like, well, to you know, to stay competitive, it's better. We can teach defense. We're going to try and play it safe. But as soon as someone taps them on the shoulder from management and says, the league is going to offense, you know, turn them loose. Yeah. The guys that we thought could only coach defense, well, it turns out they may have some offensive ideas as well. Yeah, and and again, like if you want to draw fans to the rink, maybe sure. there's a mandate to say, hey, this is how we're going to do it. We have to play exciting games. I don't care if we lose 6-3 to three on occasion. We're going to win a 6-4 game from time to time, too. And yeah, we're not going to make the playoffs, and yeah, we're going to finish towards the bottom of the standings, but you know, you know what? We're going to be exciting to watch. We'll probably win more games that way than trying to play defense and play boring hockey. The ultimate danger for the Ottawa Senators is that they, you know, as we talked about, completely bottom out. They don't have their first round pick or anything like that. But I, I, I think it's just going to be interesting to see if or how long this kind of excitement continues. Because, again, even if you're losing, if it is bringing out the best in your young players mm-hmm. and you are getting some great and performances fun, right? all the time and it's fun, why would you stop doing it? So the result of some teams going for it has been some high-scoring hockey. We've got some people drooling, thinking it's going to be fire wagon hockey all the way through till April. That's a good segue to this segment we're going to call Deep Breaths, where, you know, there's times in life where stuff's going on, maybe good, maybe bad. Always helps to take a deep breath. And ask yourself, what's really going on here? I would ask you, in my soothing, calming voice that we should all use when we're trying to set ourselves straight, based on looking into things early on here and comparing to other years, what have you got for us in terms of the scoring relative to what we've seen in the recent past and maybe what we should expect here in the weeks and months ahead? So are we back to 80s hockey? No, let's take a deep <laughs> breath. Let's just calm down. We're just over a week into the season. This happens a lot. Through 50 league-wide games last season, teams were combining to average 6.32 goals per game. This year, that number is 6.5, so a little bit higher than it was last year. But that number came shooting down to six last year so it you know it dropped off as as the season was uh sorry just shy of six just just shy of six at the end of the season so that number is is going to come down 
Part of the reason that the goals are up this year is the number of power plays that are being called, and that was a huge factor to uh, goals being up at the start of last season, too. So the average power play opportunities through 50 games last year were 4.22. The end of the season, that average was 3.04. So not only are the coaches going to sink their defensive teeth into what's going on here and calm everybody down. The refs are probably going to put their whistles in their pocket a little bit more, and we're going to see some more five-on-five hockey, fewer power play opportunities, which also is a huge factor in, in, in there being such an uptick in goals this year. The average power play percentage in the NHL right now is 22.03%. Last year finished at 20%. The last time that the average finished over 20% before last year was 1989-90. So it's probably not sustainable that we keep on this level. What I will note, though, is that shots are up. Shots were up last year. It was the highest shot rate in the NHL since the early 1970s. This year, that shot rate is about a shot less than it was last year, but still up over 30, which is higher than any other year since the 05 uh, sorry 0405 lockout so there is something happening here where we're getting more shots around the leg i just think we need to take a deep breath the goals aren't going to be scored on this kind of level austin matthews isn't going to get 200 points this year well and the leafs have how many goals relative to last year (laughs) the leafs aren't even scoring as much as they were last year (laughs) they're two goals they've scored two goals less through their first four games this year than they did last year which I assume is the difference between a William Nylander and not having a William Nylander. Has to be. Keep teasing those (laughs) fake trades that are coming. All right. My deep breath is a homer one. It's going out to the Habs fans. We're going to kind of look at both sides of the coin here. On one hand, we record this on the eve of the Habs home opener. They're 2-0. Very impressive win in Pittsburgh and, and probably deserve better than they got in Toronto on opening night. Optimism spikes quickly. So... Mm -hmm. Let's just take a deep breath there and understand they're not going to go 82-0. and 0. I think we know that. And that even talk of contending for the playoffs, maybe maybe just hold off a little while. But the real, the deeper deep breath, I have to say, is for people who've been ready to jump off the ledge, well, there is a little something-something to grab onto. So before you're ready to abandon your team and burn down the city with that torch... Let's take a deep breath here and talk about how Jesperi Kotkaniemi, one of my most solid, solid preseason prop bets would have been Hmm. goals for Philip Zadina in October over under 5.5. Like I was sure this guy was going to have seven goals in October and set off a torrent of hate about why they drafted Kotkaniemi, who for sure his... NHL games played was going to be on zero. And here we are, Zadina, not with the Red Wings Mm -hmm. at present. And Kotkiniemi, he's still a mouthful, isn't he? (laughs) Kotkiniemi, looking pretty okay. And and like someone who might at the very least cut his teeth here and next year come back as a guy with a year under his belt, playing the center position where they're going to add Ryan Paling, almost certainly next year, uh, a 2017 first round pick and quite possibly a uh, Nick Suzuki mm-hmm. brought over in the Pacioretty trade. So you flash forward 12 months from now, all of a sudden it doesn't look so bad. Oh, and PS Max Domi looks pretty good in the middle skating fast. So 
Deep breaths, Hab fans, if you thought all was lost, well, I don't know that they've turned a corner yet, and I still don't really know how the hell they're going to compete with Mm -hmm. Toronto and Boston and Tampa Bay and even Florida long-term in their division. But, yes, things do look just a little better than they may have a few months ago. Speaking of Florida, let's do a – before we go to break, let's do a quick and dirty and unfortunate – Injury look around the league. Don't want to be wet blankets here, but nothing was more painful than watching Luongo go down first night. Hopefully not too long for Florida. And I say hopefully because they're a team that a lot of people circled as, hey, keep your eye on on these guys. Like they've got a little something going, had a great record second half of the season. You know, hard luck team that I think a lot of people would like to see, not just the random people from Barry who are actual (laughs) fans of the team, but would like to see do well. So tough yeah. luck that, you know, this is a team that got off to a crappy start last year, always plays a mm-hmm. road heavy uh, schedule to start. And now your guy who's been good, but had trouble staying great. in the lineup mm-hmm. uh, the past couple of years. Boom. Uh, fluke, you know, Frank Vitrano lands on his knee, a little sprain and, and he's out. Hopefully this isn't going to be too, too long or too painful for Florida. It was almost destined to be because earlier in the game, just a couple minutes before, he took a shot high up and the trainer had to come out to help him then and he stayed in the game. So there was already one scare in that game before Petrano fell on him. This is like, this is the worst case scenario for the Florida Panthers out of the game. The worst start they could have asked for because you look at those forward lineups, everybody knows about Sasha Barkov. The second line is also tremendous. You got Mike Hoffman and Jonathan Huberto on the wings of your second line. That's outrageous. Very nice. And a really underrated defense core, too. To me, and I think I said it on this show, the most important thing for the Florida Panthers was that their goaltenders stay healthy, namely Roberto Luongo. Because when he has been in the net, he's been absolutely fantastic and still one of the better goalies in the league. The problem is that he does run into injury problems. And the bigger problem is that so does his backup, James Reimer. You know, so if... Roberto Luongo is out for a long time, whether it's this injury, whether he gets another injury later on or whatever, and James Reimer has to be tasked with being the number one. I mean, I don't feel good about him standing up to that kind of a workload. And then your third goalie is Michael Hutchinson, who I think is good in the AHL, but I wouldn't want him to be counted on for anything in my NHL team if I'm going for the playoffs. So just to start off on this note, losing Luongo right away, just the absolute worst thing that could have happened for the Florida Panthers, and, and hopefully it's not something that, that just lasts and nags throughout the entire season. few others in the unfortunate theme of people going down. I'll just I'll rhyme them off, and then you can tell me which ones kind of stand out for you. Joe yeah. Thornton out that for San stinks. Jose. Yeah. Anna, Anaheim uh, really hit with it. I mean, we knew Corey Perry <sighs> uh, before the season. Ryan Getzlaff, Andre Kasha, your boy. That Patrick one stings Keys. more than anything. Yeah. I really wanted to see Andre Kasha this year, and he gets concussed, and he's going to miss some time here. That one really stinks. But Anaheim, this it's really this is a really bad start for the Anaheim uh, Ducks. Minus 40 is their shot differential, 5-on-5, the absolute worst in the league. The only reason they still look half-decent on the standing sheet has been John Gibson, who has been just absolutely stellar. And that's a performance we saw coming, right? If That's another guy. If he stays healthy, he's had injury problems. If he stays healthy, he could come out of this year as a Vesna Trophy winner, 
in discussion as the number one goalie in the world. Right now, he's kind of keeping that team afloat, but that's not going to be able to go on for 82 games. Big Joe hopefully won't be too long. Yeah, Joe. the nice thing there is that Joe Pavelski can slide over to center to take his spot. This is where they would feel the loss of Chris Tierney, who they traded to. Uh, Six points in four games, Chris he's Tierney. Been, he's been really good in, in Ottawa. He's been playing on their third line. I think he's going to end up in the top six on that team before long especially if they trade Matt Duchesne. That's the obvious way that he gets there. I think he's going to fit there just fine. This is where they're going to feel the loss of Chris Tierney when the injuries hit. If if a, if, if a second injury happens to Couture or Pavelski, that's where they're going to hurt. You always get a little more concerned when someone has an injury history, and that is the case with Nolan Patrick, yeah. the second overall pick in, in 2017. Uh, limited to, to 73 games last year. Now, it uh, looks like about a week um, upper Just body. Not good. Yeah. Just not good. He's got, he's got an injury history dating back to junior before. Days. Yeah, be- even before his junior days. Before he arrived in the OHL, he still missed a large chunk of a season uh, due to an injury. So this is something that has followed him forever. He got a look at the start of the season. Jake Voracek was on his right side. He was moved back up to the top line on Wednesday night against the Senators. Um, he started to come on, I thought, at the end of the season last year, but um, not the kind of electric opening to a career that we've seen from the guys around him this year. Pedersen, Miro Heiskanen is another guy from a different draft, but another guy who's coming in right away as being electric. And so Nolan Patrick has been a little underwhelming in that regard. But I, you know, this is a guy you can't really judge right away. He's more of a long-term guy to develop into a powerful, probably line two center. I'm guessing it's just a matter. This guy's got to stay healthy. All right. From the doldrums and drudgery of injuries to the excitement of fake trades. We've got at least one for you coming up. Rory loves it on the other side of the break here on tape to tape. Still with it. Palmieri shoots and a pad save made by Anderson. Tipped ahead. Racing away Nylander. One man back. Nylander with a backhand pass. Nowhere near Kadri. Both players out of gas. Nylander curling out. Nylander still with it. Shoots. Scores! With 2.2 seconds left. Willie Nylander wins the game. If you're adamant that you are an eight million dollar player, because okay, if you if you truly believe, you ain't getting it here. There's a long lineup of guys who want their money, and you are fourth on the pecking order. So, do you understand? You will never get eight here. So, make your decision. If it's eight you want, tell everybody. I'd rather go somewhere else and get my eight than take the six from the Toronto Maple Leafs and start establishing that it ain't going to be here. Why don't you lay a potential Nylander deal on me? Okay, I don't know how this one is going to come together or how much sense it really makes, but I want to find a new home for Jacob Truba because I don't know what his future in Winnipeg is. His was an arbitration I was watching very closely this past summer. Off of his entry-level deal, you know, he had that requesting trade and everything like that. He signed a two-year contract with the Jets. So this one was his first opportunity to get that long-term deal. Oftentimes, that's what happens before the arbitrator rules. The two sides agree and get a contract done, and it didn't happen this time. 
So because he's already requested a trade in his past, next summer he's going to be arbitration eligible again. And then the summer after that, in 2020, he's a UFA. So if he is not going to have a future with this team, if he's not going to sign that long-term deal, Winnipeg is going to have to find some way to trade him out and get some value back. And I wonder if William Nylander is somebody that they would consider here. I don't know if the timing is right for this because the Winnipeg Jets are going for a Stanley Cup. Jacob Truba is rising as a as well, the main minute muncher. It's ridiculous. I mean, if you could move forward those two, the, the, they could be one of the better pairs in the league. But there's just the reality of the future here. Now, this wouldn't be a one-for-one. One. Winnipeg doesn't need the forward as much as a team like Carolina maybe does. Uh, their strength is already, you know, they have a lot of good young forwards up there. Um, so you needed to add in something else if you're the Toronto Maple Leafs. I don't even know if Timothy Liljegren is enough, but this is a guy who was maybe a t- number two overall pick at the start of his draft year. He had mono, he struggled in Sweden, and his draft stock fell, I think, to 17th overall to the Toronto Maple Leafs. Um, you got to think he's still got that, that game into him. Winnipeg has some nice defensemen in their system. Sammy Niku was second in AHL scoring at the position last year, but not a lot. So Timothy Lilligren would be able to help a little bit there. Again, I'm not sure if that's enough if you had to add a first-round pick or something else like that in, into it. Again, I don't know if the timing is right, but I want to find a way to get true out of Winnipeg. Well, at first blush, you look at Winnipeg's forwards and think they're flush and, yeah. and don't need another one. But then if you drill down... We continue to think or often think of William Nylander in the context of being a winger because that's what we've seen in Toronto. But this is a guy who was seen as, I can't remember if he was drafted as a center, but seen as someone who was going to play up the middle could get there. So if he can get there, that's a big upgrade on Brian Little. If all of a sudden Shifley Nylander is your one-two, I think you feel way better about that. So maybe... As you said, it doesn't make a ton of sense on the face of it. But, of course, the two positions we hear teams talk about the most, defense and center. You know, they went out and got Paul Stastny at the deadline to solidify, and that was a great fit that last was year. fantastic He's fit. moved on, so maybe if they want to go three deep, Jack Roslovich is coming. But I, I don't know that anyone sees him being uh, a 30-goal, 35-assist guy like probably William Nylander is going to be. Nylander's the guy who you can put on that line and be the puck distributor, the yeah. playmaker, to get it to the guys who can shoot the puck on his wings, and that's what Stasny was so good at last year, why he was such a good fit. Nylander could get up, get you know 40, maybe even 50 assists on a line Feeding that line, loaded. Eh? Right, yeah. exactly. So I think you need somebody with that kind of skill. Little isn't as good of a fit as Stasny was, so that kind of refills that hole. I love Jack Rosovich, but he... He's not quite there yet where William Nylander is that kind of polished player. If they did make a trade like this, Winnipeg is going all in with just all offense up front, which I don't think is really a bad thing necessarily, but you would definitely lose the defensive responsibility that you can count on from Jacob Truba. I think about 65% of your fake trades over the past couple of years have involved Truba. I just, you know, I keep coming back to it. Like if this guy is going to, have a future here. He's got to sign Pen that to contract. Paper. If it hasn't happened yet, you got to think that something's going to happen here within the next year. Well, I can promise you, friends, whether they do or do not involve Jacob Truber, there will be many more fake trades to come on tape to tape. They're just too much fun to leave behind. That is all the time we have on this particular edition of Fake Trades and tape to tape but make sure you're checking us out on sportsnet.ca subscribing in itunes follow rory on twitter at rory boylan myself at dixon on sports 
and come back next week for more glass rattling hockey action tape to tape